Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting next to my partner in crime, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Wes, we're another day closer to the NFC Championship game, which will be played on Sunday at Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara, Packers 49ers. 5.40 p.m. Central Time kickoff. I want to start the show today by talking about a couple of offensive players for the Packers, one who's been around for quite a while and one who's only been around for a couple of months. First off, the one who's been around for a while, wide receiver Devontae Adams. Some interesting discussion yesterday with both Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams going to the podium in the Lambeau Field Media Auditorium here during championship week kind of following up on, obviously, Adams' big performance against the Seattle Seahawks, Rogers' comments after that game about the chemistry that he feels now with Adams approaching that level that he had with Jordy Nelson. And uh, quite frankly, this is a, a connection. It's definitely reaching that special level. And if it stays at that level against a very, very formidable San Francisco defense, It'll be really interesting to see what the Packers can do out there on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, one thing that stands out is obviously how important Devontae Adams is to the offensive rhythm of this team. When he was playing in that first game against San Francisco, they were still kind of getting back into a rhythm once again. It's funny how that discussion has kind of gone by the wayside, that whole thing about, oh, Devontae Adams is gone or is back, but the offense is playing worse. Right, right. Uh, it's it's crazy how that, that, can, that can quickly change and no one seems to ever – really want to address it at that point that's cool um but here we are now uh with him you know you look at that game last week and it was arguably one of Aaron Rodgers best performances certainly in the postseason and Devontae Adams was a big reason for it the, yeah. the connection that they had not only on the scripted stuff but even the plays that they're drawing up in the, the sand so to speak <laughs> you know before before the snap like that 32 yard catch off the fade route yeah the route adjustments and uh, and those uh, those split second decisions in the heat of the moment yeah and you know Devonte Adams for everything that he's accomplished uh, you know in in this maturation that he's been on here these last few years I don't think he gets enough credit not only for building that relationship with Rodgers but doing it as quickly as he did you know, Jordy Nelson was in this offense for three years, most of three years, before he became a, a, an elite receiver, yeah. a, a go-to guy in this offense. It happened during the Super Bowl run of 2010, and and he took off from there in 11. But Devontae Adams, for all intents and purposes, was doing this right off the bat. He had performances like that in his rookie season. Now, he was the third option, but he still was an important part of that NFC Championship run. 2016 was his breakout year. They get to the NFC title game, and here they are again. Statistically, 20 years from now, people might not look at this as his finest season because he missed the four games with the turf toe, but Devontae Adams definitely is the, the primary playmaker in this offense, and when you develop a relationship with Rodgers and a trust with Rodgers that he's willing to put it out there that this is right there with how he felt with Jordy Nelson after spending 10 seasons with him, I just feel like that's the ultimate praise. Yeah, I think so too. And it's really special here where Devontae Adams is putting himself in the Packers' postseason record books because not only did he break Jermichael Finley's single-game record getting 160 yards against Seattle last week, but he now has six touchdown catches in the postseason in his career, which is tied for second in Packers history. And Sunday's game against Seattle was his third 100-yard performance, receiving performance in the playoffs, which is tied for first yeah. in Packers history. 
And when you look at the way that breaks down in the in the record book, last Sunday was only Adams' seventh postseason game of his career, and these other guys that he's tied for second or tied yeah. for first with in these categories have all played. They all played ten, eleven, twelve postseason games in their career, and Adams is at seven. So I think that speaks a lot to just his abilities when the lights are brightest. brightest. So to speak, he is a uh, he, he's a big time performer. He's a clutch performer in the big games, and uh, the Packers are certainly going to rely on him here against the 49ers. And when you think about him and Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, James Jones, all, all these top top receivers the Packers have had, what's the the number one trait that stands out to you about all of them? Because they all were different types of receivers, but it was in those big moments they didn't shy away from it. Yep. Uh, Devontae Adams, if it's fourth and one, and we've seen plays, I think Detroit was one of them, where it's fourth and one and they need a yard. And yeah, that was a big-time conversion there. That uh, that was that was a uh, crucial part of that comeback. Yeah, and you need a yard and you need to be able to move the chains, and Devontae Adams is it. He's that guy. He's become that guy, and for so many years that was Jordy Nelson yeah. and Randall Cobb and, and the guys that are just, you know, when the chips are down, who do you trust? And for Rodgers to have that faith in Adams at this juncture of his career is is incredible and the other thing is too you know this is an offense that I think is it's always been rhythm based we've talked about that since the beginning even when they you know they do some of the unscripted stuff and playoff schedule the the way that they move the ball down the field and the the momentum that they derive that from it's all based on rhythm and I think one of the things I've always said was when you look at Nelson and probably James Jones in specific, I feel like Adams encapsulates both of their games, both of their strengths. He can run the stop routes. He can be consistent. He can look for the chains and move them. But there's still that dynamic big play aspect to his game mm. down the field. He can make those huge catches over the shoulder, um, you know, being covered, and it, it doesn't. he doesn't bat an eye at it. Now you look at a game like San Francisco, and as I wrote an insider inbox on, on Thursday – I don't know what their game plan is going to be. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to have a lot of Richard Sherman on him, if the safeties are going to be on top of him. But as Adams, as he was speaking at the podium as part of the, the news conferences on Wednesday, he doesn't really care. <laughs> he feels like he's going to be able to win and get open. And he, that goes back to the very beginning with him. And he kind of expounded on that about you know, whether he was at Fresno State or even back to his high school days, he always felt like, if I run my route better than you, then, then I, I know I can. Mm -hmm. You don't know what I'm going to do, so I inherently have the advantage in that. Then you met, you you want to throw in the athleticism, the vertical, the forty times those type of the things. Footwork, That's what yeah. really separates him. Yeah. So it, it's just it's been really fun to watch. And again, he's 27 years old. He's in the prime of his career. Conversely, I think Jordy's 27 year mark was in 2012. So I mean. Devontae Adams, there's a lot of football left to be played, and he's on path to be a real special player. Yeah, well, I had asked Aaron Rodgers when he was at the podium yesterday. I asked him specifically about Adams. We all know that Rodgers has thought very highly of Adams throughout his career from the day he arrived. And as you said, the performances, a couple really big performances he had as a rookie. But I asked him, okay, so is there something about Adams' game that is different this year that is leading to you to talk about the make the comparison to the connection that you had with Nelson and Rogers basically pointed to one thing and it was it's Adams memory he he focused on recall was the word that he used and i remember conversations that i've had for doing yearbook stories and other features and stuff with Rogers and Nelson and 
all of the the conversations they talked about that they would have, whether it would be in the hallway outside the meeting room or on the sideline at practice or on the sideline during a game, talking about all these different things that would come up in the past. Hey, do you remember this from Miami in 2014? Or how about that against the Giants in 2012? And Rodgers and Nelson had that. Mm -hmm. And what Rodgers was saying is that he's hearing Devontae Adams bringing those types of past moments and past situations up in conversation now a lot more often. His his recall is getting to the level that Nelson's was. And we all know about Aaron Rodgers' encyclopedic memory right. when it comes to everything that's happened, every third down situation in this stadium or that stadium or that season or fourth quarter, first quarter, whatever. I mean, he his mind is incredible in that way. And he's able to develop the connection with the receivers when they start to remember things in much the same ways that he does. And I think that's where this thing is headed now with Adams. Yeah, because everyone, it's it's been a big line and conversation people have had for years now about being on the same page with Rodgers. And I think one of the things about it is, you know, everybody, I'm sure you did it too in college, you have your group reports. And if you're a tremendous student and you know the, the material really well, if you have four or five people in your group and you can lead that group, okay, could you still get an A if everybody else is just kind of lackluster and <laughs> you know maybe not pulling their weight? Yeah, you're probably good enough to do that. But what can you accomplish when you surround yourself with people that are just as motivated as you are, just right. as well-researched as you are? Right. Um, you can get a lot done. And I think when people always think back to 2011, there was obviously a lot of talent there. But there was a lot of people that were at the peak of their athletic primes, but also very dedicated to their craft. And Devontae Adams learned from all of these guys. Uh, he's known James Jones since I think he was in high school. Right. You know, growing up in that in the Yeah, Bay they have area. a connection that goes way back historically. He worked with Jordy Nelson, you know, for three years. He, he'd been with Randall Cobb for the past four years. These guys all left those impressions on him of not only how to approach your business, but how to lead. And I feel like when he was thrown into that role, he was welcoming to it. And there's going to be receivers here in the next few years. Alan Lazard might even be one of them now that there are going to be guys coming in. There's going to be that next Devontae Adams. There's going to be that next Randall Cobb in so much to say, you're not going to get the identical guy, but you're yeah. going to get players, young receivers that he's going to have to mentor just like Nelson and Cobb mentored him. And I think he really understands that, appreciates it and knows that the more he understands and the more that he can recall, the better it's going to make that group project for Rodgers and the Packers. Yeah, no question about it. Well, I mentioned we'd also talk about a player who's only been here a couple of months with regards to this offense, and I'm referring to running back Tyler Irvin. Packers picked him up in November, I guess late November, yeah. maybe it was. Yeah, I think he, uh, yeah, yes. I believe his first game was uh, at Washington. Yeah, threw him in right away on returns, punt returns, kickoff returns, made a quick impact there. But the interesting thing here about the evolution of his involvement and his impact on this team is now what he's doing on the offensive side. We've seen we've seen some some jet sweeps, yeah. handoff uh, pitch type of plays. We've seen him uh, run some wheel routes out of the backfield. No pass receptions or you know deep connections down the field, but those are in the playbook as well. This is really interesting how this has evolved because Tyler Irvin has always just been kind of pegged as a special teams guy. Yeah. And that's not who he is no. here with the Packers. And he's gotten 
to this expanded role in a very short amount of time. So I can't I can't tell you what happened in Houston or Baltimore or Jacksonville. I, I don't know. Yeah. I didn't follow him as much then, but it was really interesting a conversation I had with with Aaron Jones. It was about a week or two ago about Irvin. Because he, he's the one that came up with the Swerve and Irvin nickname and, and was been really complimentary of him. And I just That kinda, was Jones who came yeah, up with Jones Okay, I didn't real I didn't realize that. So it was funny, at least in the Green Bay locker room, maybe he had it elsewhere, but yeah. he is incredibly familiar with him, and I thought that that was interesting. I'm like, because I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't know anything about Tyler Irvin until the Packers claimed him. And he said, yeah, it went back to my time at UTEP because he would look at the league leaders, the, con- the leaders in the country in terms of rushing, and there was this little, you know, smaller back, much like himself, at San Jose State, that was just running over everybody. Yeah, and Irvin had twenty five hundred, like total yards, his last two years there. In addition to everything he did as a returner, right. And it was funny to me going back and looking at the scouting reports of him getting the two thousand sixteen draft, because he was a fourth round pick of the Houston Texans, and everybody was drawing these comparisons: Jamal Charles, uh, Darren Sproles. That this guy could be a really dynamic playmaker. And at the time, it looked like the Texans were going to pair him with Lamar Miller. So in three years with Houston, he only had 19 touches offensively, in addition to what he did at kickoff and punt returns. They eventually moved on from him. He lands in Baltimore on their practice squad. They move on from him, and then he ends up being claimed by Jacksonville. The thing that ties this all together, then, is Aaron Rodgers going to the podium and talking about the conversations he had with John Wojciechowski and with John Eric Sullivan, the Packers' personnel directors. In that the Packers have had an eye on Irvin for some time, and all the stars finally aligned for him to come into Green Bay. So whether it's the Packers' personnel department or whether it's Aaron Jones, this guy really hasn't surprised anybody. But seeing what he has added to those jet sweeps and those pre-snap motions, it's important because it seemed like all year long the Packers were kind of searching for who that guy was going to be. Trevor Davis did it a little bit. Geronimo Allison did it. Alan Lazard did it again last week. Yeah. But with Irvin, for the first time that I can recall last week, you actually saw him start to be utilized in that pistol formation with the two running backs, and the Packers are running plays off of that. For a guy that wasn't on the roster six, seven weeks ago, when you talk about differences and why this matchup could be different, I just think that this adds a new wrinkle that San Francisco is going to have to prepare for. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a change-up, and in some ways it was born out of necessity because Irvin started getting more snaps on offense when Jamal Williams was injured and he was being rested, particularly in the Detroit game, the regular season finale in Week 17. But then it's just the more snaps that Irvin got on offense, the more Matt LaFleur and the offensive coaches were saying, yeah, like, I mean, Tyler Irvin isn't suddenly going to get the ball 20 times on offense, not when you have Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams and whatnot. But the coaching staff felt like, hey, we we there's a role for this guy. There's a way that we can use him, and uh, we're going to continue to use him moving forward. So, um, much like you know, Jay Sternberger, in a sense, the rookie tight end who spent the first first half of his rookie season yeah. on injured reserve, and then and then was activated. Now he's only made one catch. He made his first NFL catch last week. But we've seen Wait for him. 17 yards, though. What's that? After the penalty. Yeah, with the 15 yard penalty <laughs> uh, tacked on. But we've seen him get more and more snaps here down the stretch as the season goes along because every time he's in the game, the film shows an impact of right. some kind. And that kind of stuff doesn't go unnoticed. So even though 
you know, here we are talking about two guys that are getting upwards of a dozen or even two dozen snaps on offense here as the Packers are in the postseason. They were getting zero in yeah. the first half of the season, but it just it just goes to show you how a team doesn't stay static. It no. doesn't stay the same. There's this constant evolution and uh, and Matt LaFleur and, and the offensive coaches have certainly paid heed to that. Well, and this is why I also like this move for Brian Gutekunst because, you know, there was a time there that he was, you know, and the Packers were kind of getting sort of railed on for trading Trevor Davis away. Yeah. And, you know, I think that took a lot of people by surprise. They got a six-round draft pick for it. I'll admit it took me by surprise yeah. just, just, based on, just based on how we had seen Davis being used in training camp and the preseason games and whatnot. I thought... They uh, they had sort of the niche for him on offense, and that they wanted to use him in that way. But then they decided to move on. Yeah, so he goes to Oakland, and they claim uh, Trey Smith, and things didn't really work out with Smith. And they you know they try again, and they go and find Tyler Irvin. Yeah. Now the one benefit to that, because a lot of times you want to keep your core as consistent as possible through the season. But again, this is a conversation I think I've said before on the show. But I go back to that the talk I had with Tim Masty years ago. You know, if you're a specialist, if you're a returner, if you're even on specialty, like the playbook isn't as expansive. You can come in and make an impact, whether it's a kicker, punter, returner, long step, what, what have you. Yeah. You can slide in, and Irvin has done that. And I think it's a credit to Gutekunst because, you know, they wanted to get better on their returns. They also were able to get some draft equity for it, but they were able to eventually, through that process, find an answer. And, you know, I think I, I want to say. Dallas Morning News-wise, or with Rick Gosselin's ratings, I think the Packers are probably going to end up in that 15 to 20 range for special Yeah, they're going to be somewhere in the middle of the pack. Which, when you consider where things were looking in the middle of the season, it's just incredible what yeah. Irvin has been able to add both on kickoffs, returns, and, then, and punt returns, in addition to the fact that the Packers are covering a lot better. And for Matt LaFleur and his coaching staff to say, you know what, we're seeing what this guy's doing on special teams, we think he can help us on offense, that's the life of an NFL coach, and that's the life of an NFL team. Understanding your personnel, learning what their strengths are, and finding ways to implement it. It doesn't matter which phase of the game it is. Yeah. I mean, we, we covered that Detroit game a couple weeks ago. Jamal Agnew is catching passes, you know, and they're right. doing things with him it, with the Lions. So, I mean, that's just the way this game goes. And for the Packers, if you're looking for difference makers, if you're looking for reasons to believe this game could be different, it's not going to be Tyler Irvin probably having 150 total yards. But it could be a punt return. It could be an end around that goes, you know, well and breaks for a for an explosive gain. All these things are things that have to be in the back of your mind. So for Irvin, as Jamal or as Aaron Jones says, adding a little bit more lightning to this offense, that all creates more mismatches potentially for Green Bay to exploit. Yeah. Well, one other thing I want to get to before we go today, Wes, we'll switch gears to the defensive side of the ball for a minute. Um, some of the conversations that were going on in the locker room with players after practice yesterday. It was interesting. Blake Martinez shared with a few reporters, including me, I'm going to be writing about this on our website actually later today, that when the team came back from the blowout loss in San Francisco, you're heading into a regular Monday. You're going to come in. The coaches are going to show certain aspects of the film. It's sort of like a, a full team you know, film review study. But the defensive guys got together and they all showed up an hour early and they got together just as a defense. They had put in a request with the uh, video department to say, hey, we want, we want the video of all of the explosive plays that we've given up on the season. To that point, it was whatever, 
12, 11, 11 games into the season. We want video of all the explosive plays. We're going to look at them. We're going to try to, you know, get to the bottom of this. And they spent an hour in the film room together going over this stuff and, and in essence, discovering that the communication on the defensive side of the ball, there were too many assumptions being made about, you know, okay, this is my job and this is that guy's job. And they figured out with the help of Mike Pettin and and practice repetition and everything that they've now become this very noisy, talkative defense. And and Tremont Williams used the phrase over-communicate. They over-communicate everything defensively. And it's a big it's a big part of how this unit has cut down on the explosive plays. And I just found the story interesting because you wrote the story back in the preseason or towards the start of the regular season where the defensive group coming back from Baltimore, Baltimore. in the preseason where they had just played the first quarter against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens and that offense, and they didn't like how things had gone. So they came back and got together and looked at it and, you know, started to try to fix some things on their own. It sounds like there's a similar group of guys that did that coming back from the San Francisco game, and there's no denying statistically that this Packers defense has played a heck of a lot better down the stretch here than it was through the middle portion of the season when all those explosive plays were happening and then it kind of all came to a head in San Francisco with the blowout defeat. Yeah, it's kind of, I, I, I was kind of awestruck by when you mentioned this story to me because obviously you were over in Martinez's huddle. I was over talking to Brian Balaga at the time. And the thing that stands out to me about the Baltimore story in addition to the Ravens being really, really good. Yeah, we, ended up finding yeah, out. we weren't quite sure at that time, but yeah, they turned out to they be a pretty darn deal. good club. So it was how well the Packers played through that month of September and at the end of the preseason. That that was kind of the one hole, so to speak, into that. For them to do this again after the San Francisco loss, to me, that's, again, revising, revisiting, taking stock of where you are and trying to find ways to improve for the final stretch. And it's been very coincidental that Green Bay played as well as they did in September and they played as well as they did defensively in December after both of those conversations. Yeah. The thing that I, stands out to me about the over-communicating thing, because it, it's it's one thing just to say it, right? It's, yeah. It's one thing to say, oh, we're going to over-communicate, we're going to you know, work on that. But I, this is the way I kind of look at it. It's sort of like your mom telling you to clean your room, right? She can tell you once, and you're like, yeah, mom, I'm going to do it. Don't worry about it. We got this. If she keeps nagging you, or it could be your father too, by the way, <laughs> if she keeps on you, he keeps on you about it. Did you clean your room? 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 Eventually, you're going to be like, all right, fine. I'm going to clean the room. I got this. All right, we're good. And you're going to do it because you want to be done with it. Yeah. And I look at this very similarly with this defense. They're, all these guys know what they're doing. They've been studying this thing since April. Some of these guys have been in the defense for two years now with Petten. They understand the responsibilities, everything like that. But it is sometimes that just getting on you about it again. Talk a little bit more. Can you remind everybody what their assignment is? Can you tell people what you're doing and who's got this player? That stuff's important because that's where you go from, okay, you're 95% sure that something is going to be covered to 99.8. Yeah. And I, I think that's one thing that was my big takeaway here is when you look at the reduction in explosive plays, a lot of times, as much as people want to put it on one player, they want to put it on this aspect of the game just so they can understand the reason something's faltering. Realistically, at a lot of times, it, it goes back to how that unit as a whole is performing. And 
what some of the guys were talking about too is that, you know, they, in essence, they were getting away with some of the lack of communication because the explosive plays weren't killing them necessarily. Right. They were still winning games. A lot of the explosive plays they were giving up, they were good enough defensively to rise up in the red zone, get the stop, and allow the field goal. But then when what happened in San Francisco, where some explosive plays happened, the offense had a bad day, the defense was uh, was getting gashed, particularly late first half and into the second half where the game got out of hand, suddenly they look at it and go, okay, well, it really cost us, and if we want to get to the Super Bowl, if we want to make a playoff run, that 49ers team, that's the level that yeah. we need to get to. You know, so it was, it, you know, I hate to use the the uh, the overused phrase wake-up call, but in a sense, that San Francisco game really was the wake-up call for the defense that it's like, okay, what we've been doing, the 49ers prove that what we've been doing is not going to cut it. Yeah. And uh, um, and so they had kind of the, the players-only meeting type of thing with the film session that then led into the rest of the uh, the full-team review of what happened in San Francisco. And, and Tremont Williams point blank said, he doesn't think that the team would be where it is right now. They wouldn't be as good a team as they are right now if um, what happened in San Francisco hadn't happened. He right. says, it turns out it was a good thing as much as yes, it's the game that has decided this championship game being played out West as opposed to Lambeau Field. But in the bigger picture, it's what this Packers team needed to get themselves squared away. Jimmy Garoppolo in that game, 14 completions for 253 yards, and the uh, San Francisco 9.9 .9 yards per pass. The Packers were 1.9 in that game. You, you talk about, you know, with Kyle Shanahan, Matt Lafleur saying this is going to be a different game. It's going to be a different game yeah. for those reasons. You're not going to see that again. The thing that Green Bay needs a center on now is can you get the takeaways that they didn't get the first time? That's what I keep coming back to. Jimmy Garoppolo, I think there's been three games this year, maybe four, where he's not had a turnover, whether it be an interception or a pass. If you reduce the explosive plays and force them to make, you know, to go further down the field, farther down the field, that's where you're going to get those chances. Yeah, takeaways on defense and third downs on offense, right? But <clears throat> you know what? We're treading into keys to victory yeah, territory, and are. that's tomorrow's show. So we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team here on NFC Championship Week on Packers.com. Subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services, and check out all the great video content on the Packers YouTube channel. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you next time. Thank you.